0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks Podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. For all the guys that are out there, don't forget to head on over to Facebook.com and check out the Man Talks community. You can just search Man Talks community or you can go to man, Facebook.com. Forward slash man talks dash community. And for all the ladies that are out there listening, I want to say a huge freaking thank you to each and every single one of you. Everybody lately, guys and gals, have been reaching out and uh, giving me some great feedback, some great responses about some of the previous episodes that we've had out. Tom Billieux seemed to be a big hit, Masty Kip was a big hit, Uh, and sharing it has gone a long way. I cannot thank you enough. Ladies, when you share with the men in your life, I have so much respect and appreciation for you. And guys, when you man it forward and you share it with some of the other guys in your life, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to just say a huge thank you. I have so much gratitude because without you, you know, it'd be me talking to like ten people on here. So thank you so much. With that, I would like to introduce you to uh, to our guest today. And our guest today is a guy named David Bayer. And I met David Bayer. I met David at a at a conference earlier this year down in Boulder, Colorado. It was being put on by another friend of ours named Pete Vargas the Third, and, and isn't it just a great name, by the way? Like, just to deviate here for a second, could you imagine if you put a third on the end of your name, just like those three eyes at the end of your name, whatever your name is, just, just say it out loud right now. Like, my name would be Connor Beaton Third. Somehow you just sound more respectable. Like, I feel like I automatically have more credibility. Maybe I should just call myself – maybe I should change this to – you know the Man Talks podcast with Connor Beaton the It just it just sounds amazing. Anyway, I was at this conference and I was adjudicating because the conference is uh, called Advance Your Reach, uh, which is an amazing amazing conference, and it's all about developing yourself as a public speaker and getting on more stages and how to formulate your message. Uh, and so Pete puts on this really great conference, and I was down there as a judge. So um, because of Man Talks and the Real Talk Summit, I was adjudicating some of the speakers that were there. Uh, and one of the main stage speakers, one of the guys that was uh, was an established speaker was David. And I loved his message. I loved what he had to talk about. You know, he's a huge, huge Component of mindset. And immediately, as soon as I heard him speak, I saw a stage presence. I was like, man, I got to have this guy on the podcast because I've never quite heard somebody dive into mindset the way that he does. And so I'm excited for you to check this out. So here's a little bit about David. So, David Bayer is an entrepreneur, he's a speaker, writer, seminar leader, and certified professional development coach. Uh, He's the creator of the powerful living experience. And uh, he also serves as a CEO. Uh, of the chamberofcommerce.com, the leading online business directory and blog for small businesses. So after graduating from Columbia University in 98, he launched his first startup, popwall.com, and at the age of 22, very quickly established himself as an early online expert. In 2000, he left his first company to join Ducati Motorcycles, which, by the way, I'm a huge, huge fan of. I love Ducati as the executive responsible for developing the luxury bl- brand's online business, which is absolutely crazy. So in two years, Ducati.com sold the first motorcycle online generating, uh, <laughs> get this, generating 70 million dollars in online revenue and was the seventh highest grossing e-commerce platform in Europe. Absolutely crazy. So David has gone on to do just uh, a massive amount of really, really cool, really cool work. Uh, I could read off more of of what he's done. But really why he's here today is to talk about mindset. So if you have been looking at uh, really overcoming some hurdles in your life around your mindset, maybe your habits, you've been stuck in those, uh, maybe you're really facing some limiting beliefs around finances or in your relationship and in your intimacy, or maybe you're struggling at work and you can't figure out you know, how to get to the next level in your career or in your business, you will definitely want to tune into this episode. So uh, it is worth every single minute. He's got some really, really great insight. So without any further delay, I would love to welcome in Mr. David Bayer.
1: Connor, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So I met you earlier on this year uh, at a mutual friends conference called Advance Your Reach. And when I heard you speak, I just had this like intuitive hit of like, man, this guy is not only going places, uh, but he's got a really incredible amount of wisdom to share. So I'm, I'm really jacked to have you on the podcast. I think you have a lot of value to add. And uh, and I know that the the listeners are going to Get a lot of value from this. So, without hyping you up too much, <laughs> without building up, without building up too much hype uh, to to live into that. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you for joining me. Uh, truly, it's it's an honor.
1: Yeah, and and, and likewise. I mean, I've one of the there was a great event that we went to, and the best thing I think that came out of it for me was our connection because I felt. I felt the same way. Your feedback to the speakers on stage was phenomenal. In fact, if you remember,
0: the first thing I did was walk over to you and say, how'd I do? What did you have any critical feedback? (laughs) Yeah, that was, it was a, then that was a great conversation. So I appreciate that. Cool, man. Well, let's dive in. So, so I always start with the same question because there's just some incredible stories that come out of it. So tell me, tell the listeners a story about a defining moment that has made you who you are today.
1: So it's a, it's a chain of stories, uh, right? So it, you know, because who I am today is different than who I was, uh, even six months ago or a year ago. But what comes to mind, um, especially in the work that we're doing in the world today is about two and a half years ago. I was at a real crossroads in my life. I, you know, I'm, I'm 42 right now. In my early thirties, I went through, um, uh, drug and alcohol addiction. And that was really such a blessing because it was the beginning of my self awareness. It was beginning of my journey into self discovery. And that's really, you know, where some of the foundational roots are for the work that I do today. But, but two and a half years ago, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have David Bear transformational coaching. I wasn't speaking on stages. We we had not built the community that we've built. We weren't doing any live events. All I knew is I didn't want to I didn't want to be gaming search engines anymore because I had a digital marketing company that was steeped in search engine optimization, but I knew I loved this self-discovery, this growth I was experiencing and my beautiful partner is from Sarasota, which is about a 2-hour drive from Orlando. And once a year, uh, every year they have this event in Sarasota called the Chalk Festival. So I was visiting her in Sarasota, got up one morning, went out to go grab a Starbucks, and I saw this nine-year-old boy chalking, uh, a, the American flag into the concrete. And so you have these incredible murals everywhere, beautiful mural of JFK chalked by an incredible artist of uh, Martin Luther King. And then there was this, um, this boy on a side street. And when I saw him, I got really emotional. And I'm much more keyed into my emotions now than I was two and a half years ago. I was, I was not a crier. Now, now I can pretty much tear up at the drop of a hat, but I saw this boy. I started crying and I got present to the fact that what I realized was he still had his dreams intact. And I had spent a lot of time kind of getting off course with my dreams. And I saw so many of my peers and colleagues losing track of themselves. And what I realized was that this kid was on the same trajectory. Maybe it would end up being drugs. Maybe it would end up being alcohol. Maybe he'd be in a job that he hated. Maybe he'd be in a relationship that sucked. But that seemed to be the trajectory for for most people. And I really got clear that if if he could understand at an early age what had taken me three and a half decades to understand by hitting my bottom and going through my you know long dark night of the soul, then he could actually avoid that process and just have an amazing life and so that was the beginning of uh, of a real inspiration for me to start sharing what it was that I've discovered over the last ten years. You know, immersing myself in in neuroscience and neurobiology and peak performance and studying all the major spiritual teachings, everything that is the structure around what we teach, um, it was inspired by this this uh this boy Ethan, uh, who I ran into on a side street about two and a half
0: years ago in, in Sarasota. Amazing man! I mean, that's that's an incredible story, and I think you know, there's a few things that that really stand out for me, and, and you know, we're gonna dive into a, f- a few things here from. You know, really being able to optimize and understand our mindset and, you know, peak performance and some of these other components that you just t- touched on. But one of the things that really hit home for me was when you said the dark night of the soul and I would just love for you to unpack that a little bit, because I think for a lot of people, they may have experienced this uh, in some way, shape or form. Maybe they're there right now, or maybe they're heading into it. And I would just love for you to unpack that a little bit, because I know for myself, I have a very clear form of reference for that. And and it, it was definitely one of the more um transformational components of my life. So I I would love for you to unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting because I think in some way, shape, or form, you know, especially for your listeners, because you're you're attracting a a certain type of, of individual, there are these pivotal moments where we feel like we've hit a bottom and there's nowhere really to look but up. And in that process we start discovering some new things, right? About ourselves, about uh about the meaning that we're giving life. And so there, there's this moment or a series of moments that give us the opportunity to change the way that we've been living. And we don't realize that the way that we've been living is so limited in capacity until we get out of it. <laughs> so, so in that, in, in that process, whether it's losing your job and, you know, ending up with no money and sleeping on your sister's sofa or whether it's waking up and realizing, God, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict and I'm going to have to spend the next three to five years of my life working a 12 step program in order to rewire re- 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 my brain. Or you, you wake up one day and, and, or you, you come home from work and, and the girl that you thought you were going to marry has packed up all of her stuff and left. The, the, the reason why it, it, it seems like darkness, uh, is because we're not yet tuned into the truth. And the truth is that life is working for us in infinitely intelligent ways on a moment by moment basis to deliver us to our greatest good, our greatest evolution, our greatest growth, our greatest prosperity. And this long, dark night of the soul is the way, is, is the journey to get there. When you look back, it's no longer, when you're really honest with yourself, when, when, you're, when you're hip to how the mathematics of life itself works, it's, it's no longer a long, dark journey. That's why I say that my, my uh, addiction was the greatest blessing in my life, right? So I wouldn't necessarily wish it on anyone in terms of the experience because it was so challenging. Um, but, but, but I want everyone to have the level of awareness and the level of growth that I, I experienced out of that process. So, you know, the irony of this is that this young boy, this nine year old boy, Ethan inspired me to help people figure out how they can shortcut this process so they don't go half, have, have to go through the long dark night of the soul and they can just step into a life of, of living life powerfully. But this gets to a fundamental teaching, which we'll break down even further, Connor, which is that like nothing wrong ever happens. You know, I think. True forgiveness is realizing that nothing wrong ever happened. So when you realize that nothing wrong ever happens, nothing wrong ever happened, and you probably have some listeners that are saying, yeah, well, you know, let me tell you, Dave, some of the wrong things that happened in my life, and I'm happy to take those things to the the task. But when you realize that nothing wrong ever happened and nothing wrong ever happens and you never did anything wrong, then you can have forgiveness for yourself, forgiveness for other people and and that's when you start to live in the truth of reality which is a much larger conversation but that's a way to intro it for us
0: yeah i, I love that and i think that the we'll get into the truth of the matter i just had a quick question around around this rock bottom concept cuz i think you know i see a lot of guys i'm sure you're familiar with the hero's journey and you know I, lo- I think a lot of people that are listening or tuned into this are somewhat familiar with the hero's journey but i see a lot of people that sort of see this rock bottom coming and they know that the path that they're on is the path that's going to lead to the some sort of like destruction or bottoming out moment, and I know for myself you know when I look back and connect the dots backwards, there were very clear points along the way that I saw I was sort of holding the steering wheel that was leading me towards the the car crash in my life that ironically led me to living out of the back of my car for a few weeks because you know of ego and pride and whatnot and so what I'm, what I really wanted to ask you was, do you feel like people can prevent that rock bottom moment, or is there something sort of inherently um, powerful for it? Like, do we need to bottom out in order to start to course correct, or can we course correct without bottoming out?
1: Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a yes and. So one of the incredible things about life is that moment by moment by moment, it's recalibrating all of your possibilities based on the actions you take. So sure, you you could. You could be become really clear that if I continue to move in this direction, it's going to produce results that I don't want. And You could course correct and begin your journey of self-awareness, self-discovery, and having what we call powerful living experience, or you could get there through bottoming out. The reason why so many people bottom out goes back to neurobiology and, and cognitive behavioral psychology, which is even though you can see into the future and have some Cognitive level of understanding that if I continue to operate this way, I'm going to end up in a place I don't want to be. The neural networks of your brain have become so conditioned that it's almost impossible for you to not act in the same way that you've been acting. And at an unconscious level, the brain's not thinking about the future. It's going, but we've survived so far. So we've survived so far with this level of behavior it doesn't anticipate that anything different will change if you continue to operate this way. So inherent within the human being operating system are controls or mechanisms that lend to us continuing to move in that direction, even though we see that there's a car accident ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I had a guy on the podcast named Bo Lotto and he's a neuroscientist and a lot of the stuff that he was talking about really, you know, backs up exactly what you're talking about in terms of he was saying that our, our brain is is basically like programmed and and wired in such a way that it's a pattern recognizing machine that recognizes patterns that allows us to find certainty within our life. And so even though we can see that sometimes we're headed for disaster, it's a certainty and our brain hates anything that's uncertain. And so and so in order to pull away from the sort of car crash of our life of like, you know, wrecking our business or our relationship or, you know, our finances or whatever the case may be that we're struggling with, it would mean entering in the uncertain, which the brain doesn't like. And so because, because of that, it'll, it'll, you know, sort of veer us towards the car crash because it knows what that's probably going to look like, which is just, it, that blows my mind. That's like, you know, here we are talking about the mind, but that blows my mind. So, so how do we start to shift from this? How do we start to shift away from, uh, you know, once we know this, how do we start to make changes and shifts? Is it about our beliefs? Are there habits that we need to start forming? How do we start to look at the mind in a different way that can produce different results in those moments of challenge?
1: Yeah. So there's, we'll, we'll talk about that. One of the things that I've been really passionate about is a framework or a system for being able to achieve this, because I could, I could talk to you about it at a high level, but it wouldn't allow someone to get off this podcast and actually go do it anything about it, right? We could talk about how our limiting beliefs are affecting us, but if you don't, aren't aware of your limiting beliefs or even more common in the, in the world today, especially in, in the, in the types of communities that you've built is you have an entire generation of people who are becoming self-aware, but they don't know what to do with what they're becoming aware of. So you go, yeah, I, I understand that. i I believe that I'm not good enough, but what do I do about it? I understand that I believe that money is hard to make and and I don't want that to be my life, but how do I actually change my belief around that? Um, One of the distinctions that I was taught while doing um, work in India over the last couple of years by uh, a man named Krishnaji uh, is that there are only two states of being. Uh, There are beautiful states of being and suffering states of being. And so beautiful states of being are states of being or or when you're in an emotion or feeling of joy, curiosity, compassion, excitement, that's a beautiful state of being. Suffering states of being are, you know, jealousy, overwhelm, anxiety, anger, even boredom. And so there's a line of demarcation. There's nothing that sits on the line. You're always in one state of being or the other. You're always in a beautiful state of being or a suffering state of being, moment by moment by moment. You're never without a state of being, and you're never in both states of being at the same time. So this is a really simple distinction that's very powerful because it now gives us an emotional compass to identify where we are operating within the realm of reality. So if, if we want to create more in our life, If we want to have a better relationship, if we want to have more peace, if we want to make more money, if we want to grow our business, if we want to make more of an impact in the world, all of that comes from a beautiful state of being. Because in a beautiful state of being, you're connected to creativity, intelligence, inspiration, intuition, vitality, health, because in a beautiful state of being, you're actually connected to a reservoir of intelligence that both you are and that is greater than you. Right, this idea of a higher power. It sounds like the
0: goal. It sounds like the goal might be. So yeah, it sounds like the goal is is how do we start to shift more towards these beautiful states of being, you know? Because it's like, do we do we avoid the other part of it? Do we have to identify that? And how do we start to tap into this more?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that because there's a logical next question, right? Which is, okay, if everything I want is in a beautiful state of being, but I've noticed that I'm in a suffering state. How do I move into a beautiful state of being, right? So let's go back to you've got suffering states. So maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're worried about making the right or wrong decision. But in a moment, you've noticed now that you have this distinction, you're able to go, I've moved into suffering. Before, there was no distinction, right? But now you know, I've moved into suffering and I've now disconnected myself from everything that is going to allow me to create what I want in my life, to be present for the people that I love, to be a leader, et cetera, et cetera. So now we look at suffering. And the question is, what causes suffering? What causes stress? What causes anxiety? What causes jealousy? What causes you to move into a state of being that is connected to not being good enough or not being as far along as you should be? And so what we've discovered is that there's only one cause of suffering. And the only cause of suffering is your own thinking. So there's no suffering in any experience. And, uh, you know, as as I developed the methodology that, you know, we now teach and our coaches and trainers now facilitate into the world, I used nature as a backdrop for identifying what is real and what exists in the universe versus what has man been able to introduce into the system, right? There's no suffering in nature. You don't see squirrels stressed out that they're not going to find a nut. You don't see birds that are worried that they might be flying in the wrong direction. Uh, you don't see uh, uh, flowers that are indecisive about what direction they're going to grow in. So, so we, we have to, <laughs> I love, right? So I love that last one. Yeah. So like we have to, or, you know, or comparing themselves to other flowers. So we have to acknowledge that we have somehow introduced The stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm, the jealousy into a system that it actually doesn't inherently contain it. And we do that simply by our own thinking. So, the meaning that we give an experience, what we believe about our experience, will either lend to us moving into a suffering state or a beautiful state. So, it's not that you're, it's, you can take two people, for example. This is just a simple example, right? Who lose everything. They lose their job, they lose their money, they lose their house, they're living under a bridge right? And one person says, this is the end of me. I've lost everything. It's never going to work out. I'm never going to achieve what I want to achieve in my life. No one will ever love and accept me. They've moved into a suffering state. The other person says, I've got nothing left. There's nowhere else to go but up. This is a great new opportunity to restart. It's going to require a lot of hard work, but I'm up for it. It's going to be a challenge, but I know I can achieve it. They're going to be operating from a beautiful state. So the meaning that we give an experience determines whether we're in a suffering state or a beautiful state. So if you've moved into a suffering state over something, an argument with your girlfriend, a business partner, the fact that you just got served papers for a lawsuit, the fact that your boss just walked in with a pink slip, I don't think we have pink slips anymore, but, and you lost your job, right? It's not the experience that's causing suffering. It's the meaning that you're giving it. And so that's great because we have the ability to respond, which is a response ability to when we've moved into a suffering state, to realize that if we can change the meaning that we're giving the situation, we can move back into a beautiful state.
0: Mm, I like that. And, and I think that some people, you know, I, I can imagine myself six, seven, eight years ago listening to this and being like, yeah, that sounds great. And or but, probably would have been a but at that time, but. Like, then I have bills to pay and I have like all these other things. And so it seems like out of that one thought comes, you know, thousands of other thoughts around, around that fear. So is it really about mindfulness? Is it about being able to look at all those thoughts objectively and sort of allow ourselves to be the observer of those thoughts and not attach a really negative emotion to them? Cause it sounds like what you're talking about is really like a combination between neuroscience and like Buddhism or Hinduism. But do we, do we have to, look at the thoughts objectively and start to disassociate the labels that we've attached to them? Or what's that sort of like next logical step?
1: Yeah. So, so what we've said so far is that if you want to have more in your life and you want to live powerfully and you want to live in joyful states, then you need to be in a beautiful state of being. Mm -hmm. And that we move into suffering simply because of the meaning that we give a certain experience. And the next distinction which, again, has to be digested and tested, which we found to be true, is that the quality of the thinking that's causing you suffering. So, for example, you got bills to pay. You get a notice in the mail from your mortgage company. It's more money than you have in your bank account. All of a sudden, you give a meaning to that experience of sitting there at your kitchen table, looking at the bill and comparing it to the amount of money you have in your bank account, right? So you give it a meaning, and you have to pay attention to the thinking that's taking place, because the meaning might be something like, Uh, I can't pay my bills. All right, you can't pay your bills. So what we need to do is we need to generate more revenue. We need to find ways to become more resourceful. I don't have enough money in my bank account right now to pay my mortgage. But that's not where we go with it. Then what happens is I'm going to lose my home. And then all of a sudden what happens is you say, how did I get to this point in my life? Then you say, I should be further along than I am. Then you say, I'm such an idiot. How have I gotten to this point in my life that I'm 33 years old and I can't even pay my mortgage? I never do anything right. Things never work out for me. Right. So you get this stack of thinking that's causing the suffering that, again, does not allow you to solve the problem. And what we found is that if you're thinking something, and this is a really important distinction, because once you once you realize you've moved into suffering and you realize the only cause of it is your own thinking and you start to become self-aware, like you talked about, what we found time and time again is that the thinking that is causing suffering is untrue. It's not true. And the reason why you experience a suffering state, stress, anxiety, overwhelm, jealousy, or anger is because your body's actually designed to move into suffering when you've entangled yourself with thinking that's not in alignment with the truth of reality. So not being able to pay your bills is an experience, but the fact that you can't pay your bills and therefore you're a failure and you're never going to amount to anything and you're going to end up homeless, that's a lie. And so the only cause of suffering is thinking, and more importantly, it's thinking that's not true. So we give people this distinction so that when they decide to do the inner work around this, you're able to go and identify the thinking that's taking place that's causing you your suffering, and you go in with this life preserver around you knowing it's not true, even though it might seem true at first.
0: I like that. I like that. So what what becomes possible out of this space? Because it sounds like what you're really providing people with are not only context, but tools in order to sort of handle those anxieties. And and not only that, not, not only what's possible, but I'm curious to know how our beliefs and our limiting beliefs play into some of this. Is it, it sounds like a lot of what you're addressing or a lot of what, what you are creating as a possibility for people to tackle are the beliefs that are actually holding them back.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things. What's possible is you become what we call a phenomenon. So when, if you think about it for a minute, Connor, and you can do your own calculation in your head if you want to share it, you can. But I'm on stages all over the country. And I say, y'all want to grow your business, right? Right. You want to have better relationships, right? Right. You want to make more money, don't you? Absolutely. Okay. How many of you feel like there's not enough time? Every hand in the room goes up. Then I ask, okay, so now that you know what suffering is, because we've been so conditioned by stress, anxiety, and overwhelm, we don't even refer to it as suffering anymore. But now that we've defined it, how much time do you spend on a daily basis in a suffering state? Criticizing yourself, criticizing other people, comparing yourself to other people, thinking you should have done something, worrying about something in the future, being stressed, being anxious, being overwhelmed, being in indecision all that stuff. I get that you may be sitting in front of your computer doing work. You may be interacting with clients at an event, but when that's going on in the background, how much time is it? And the average answer I get is three to four hours a day. Okay. Some people say 12 hours, which I used to live there. I get it. It was all the time. It was a state of being, right? Even though I was successful in my business. So if you look at three to four hours, you're talking about 1,100 to 1,400 hours a year that we're trying to operate from a state of being that's not conducive to creating what we want to create in our lives. So when you learn how to reduce that to 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a year, there's so much more available to you that people look from the outside in going, how did you create all that? Like how, what did you do? So we call that becoming a phenomenon. When you learn how to master the art of living in a beautiful state, everything you want comes along with it in a very powerful, profound way. Now, for what regards your beliefs, your brain is a goal-achieving machine. And it's operating in a mul- at a multitude of levels off of what you believe. So it's it's really profound. And we talk about this in, in something we call the power of decision because we don't really use beliefs. We distinguish that beliefs are actually decisions. So you believe money's hard to make, you've decided money's hard to make. You believe you have to do everything on your own, you've actually decided you have to do everything on your own. And so the way that the brain is a goal achieving machine, is that depending on what you've believed or decided, you can only think or have ideas in alignment with that. So if you believe money is hard to make, you're constantly going to be thinking thoughts around uh, how money is hard to make. It affects your perception of the world. So your brain is filtering out about 90% of everything that's going on around you in a moment by moment basis. And it's bringing to your attention the 10% that you've decided is important. And that's always in alignment with what you believe. That's why when you buy a new car, you see the car everywhere. It's that part of your brain. So if you believe that relationships don't work out or there's no good men or women out there, that's what your experience is going to be. Like Mr. And Mrs. Wright will walk by. You won't even perceive of them because it's not in alignment with your belief system. And then lastly, uh, what you believe or what you've decided affects the coincidence you create in your life. It's a larger conversation, right? The, the brain is an electrical device. It's emitting a vibration based on the very specific neurosynaptic connections of your brain. Those connections are designed based on what you believe because you're storing beliefs as memories in your brain, and it's interacting with the quantum vibrational reality, and it's literally creating circumstances that are aligned with what you believe, right? So when we're doing work with, you know, high-level executives or entrepreneurs We're basically saying, what is it that you're trying to create? We have them get really clear on the destiny that they're trying to create. And then we go, okay, why do you think that might not happen? And all of a sudden, we hear belief number one, belief number two, belief number three, belief number four. They aren't necessarily true, but they're going to prevent that individual from creating powerfully in their life because even though consciously they want to create X, Y, Z, at an unconscious level, they're working against themselves because they've got the greatest technology in the world between their ears, but it's being calibrated To produce results that they don't want. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's like having the the radio station that you want to tune in on be at, you know, on on channel 1100 and you're tuned into channel 600 and wondering why you're not picking up the right signal.
1: That's it. And, and, And I don't care what level of person we're working with. There 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 are so many layers to this thinking, right? To these limiting beliefs. And people often say to me, well, okay, I got it, Dave. If what what's happening at an unconscious level, which we're calling beliefs or decisions, is moving me into a suffering state, it's not allowing me to produce what I want to produce in my life, how do I become aware of what I'm not aware of? And so we give two tools. One is, notice when you've moved into a suffering state and know that it's only your thinking, go look at the thinking, number one. Because it's a lot easier to notice how you feel than to notice what you think. Number two, pay attention to your reaction to the experiences you're having in your life. Because we think that the experience is causing us to react that way. I would suggest that the reaction has been inside of you for a long time and it's created the experience. So (laughs) if I were to follow you around, Connor, and see what you've created in your life, I would know exactly what you believe because the brain is a goal achieving machine. And if you and I had a conversation, and I was listening for what you believe, I could tell you exactly what your life looked like. It's that aligned and that profound.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I, it's, it's interesting because I've seen examples of this sort of all over the place. And, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody recently who was asking, you know, like, how did you put on the real talk summit? You got 1500 people out there and Gary V and blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't really thought about it up to that point. But when I really looked at it, it was really a matter of, of a belief that I just believed that it was possible. And I made, and I had made a decision that that's what we were going to do. We were going to put on this event. We're going to have this speaker and, you know, we weren't going to lose money. And I had like made all these decisions that we then went out and executed on. And so coming back around to the idea of like your beliefs make your decisions. Um, I think I've seen a lot of people. Oh, (laughs) I can see that in so many different avenues now that you sort of like put it into that framework. So in terms of the next steps, what do people need to know about looking at the limiting beliefs? Like, do we need to be able to start identifying them? Or is it just a matter of sitting with the process of noticing what's coming up and, and really, like you said, step number one, noticing when we have shifted into a suffering state?
1: That's a great question. And I'm, I want to speak into the power of decision because you perfectly bridged to, to, to this because for us, There's two sides of the coin where we work when we work with anyone or or anyone who comes through any of our programs. Number one is we get it. You want to create more in your life. That's different for all of us. And in that realm of creating, there's a superpower we have called decisions. But the problem for most people is that suffering is stealing their life. So the first thing we do is we take a look at where you're suffering we help you see the thinking that's causing your suffering. We teach you how to see that the thinking is untrue. And then the moment you actually see your, un, your, your unintelligent thinking, as we like to call it, as unintelligent, you immediately change your thinking because you, you can't unsee it anymore. It's like you walking into my office and going, my hand really hurts. I go, Connor, look down. You see you're slamming your own hand in a door. You stop slamming your own hand in a door. So the moment you see that to be indecisive is unintelligent because there is no right or wrong decision. To be overwhelmed is unintelligent because you're not supposed to get everything done. And no, you're not at risk of not achieving the vision of your life if you don't get everything done. You're supposed to just get done what you can get done today and turn it over to life for tomorrow. So once you really see that, every time you experience overwhelm again, you go, ah, there's that thing again. Ah, there's indecision again. So being able to see your the thinking that's causing your suffering is unintelligent is the most transformative way. It's, it's not jumping up and down and getting all excited and changing your state. It's not trying to come up with another creative story that you can lay on top of these neural networks that represent the old belief. It's really taking the time to look at the thinking and to see that it's untrue. So we're, we're all, we've always got this interplay going around suffering and noticing how you're feeling and then creating powerfully in our lives through decisions. And to speak to what you said, you decided that you were going to do the conference. And what's so powerful about decisions, because most people are hampered by the how. Well, I don't know how I'm going to do the conference. I don't know how I'm going to take my business to the next level. I don't know how I'm going to find the man or woman of my dreams. I don't know how I'm going to do any of this. And so in the not knowing the how, there's the refusal to make a decision. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, the moment we make a decision, we actually create a mental image of it, And the brain starts to operating off of that image. So there was this really interesting study done at Harvard in 2009 where they brought in piano players to play the piano. They studied their brains as they played the piano. And then they had them imagine playing the piano. And the same parts of the brain lit up. So the brain doesn't know the difference between what's happening in reality or what's happening in imagination, yet it'll build a memory as if the thing happened. So it'll actually change your brain. You'll build a series of neural networks that represent the experience that you're imagining. And it's actually the willingness to do that without needing to know the how that reveals the how to you. Because now you start to operate as if it's already done. And that brain's change starts to give you the thoughts, the ideas. It changes your perception. So you pay attention to the things that you need to notice in order to make that thing happen. And it activates uh, coincidence in the quantum reality. So decisions are very powerful. And one of the reasons why we've been able to grow so quickly And one of the reasons why the people we work with are able to produce results so quickly, whether that's doing, uh, you know, philanthropic work in Africa, whether that's building a software company, whether that's creating an extraordinary family is because they actually learn to give themselves permission to make new decisions without needing to know the why. That activates the power of imagination and it gets the, the goal achieving machine working at a whole new level. So when you realize that you've got a limiting belief, money's hard to make. All you need to really do, and it requires oftentimes training from us to convince people to give themselves permission to do this. But at a fundamental level, it's noticing that you've got this limiting belief, which is also connected to a suffering state, and then giving yourself permission to make a new decision about it. And then finding evidence for how that's true. So we have a little three step process you identify the limiting belief, you realize beliefs are decisions. You make a new decision that's more aligned with what you, what you want in your life. And then you say, well, how could this be true? This new decision. And you start to activate dormant neural networks that have been kind of inactive that actually support the new decisions. It's kind of like building stilts under a table. And by doing that, you rebuild. It's called neurosculpting. You start to build into your brain empowering beliefs or decisions and you start to
0: prune off the old ones. So this is, it's, it's all brain work here. Yeah, no, I I like it. And I think that, you know, you've touched on a really, really important piece, which is in and around the how. Um, and I, I've found especially, I'm not too sure if, if this is the same for, for most women, but I found especially for guys, like we want to know exactly how it's all going to work out. We want to analyze, we want to like put it into spreadsheets and map it out and charts and diagrams and all that kind of crap. And so we get really stuck in trying to figure out how it's all going to happen and so uh, I think that that's a really important piece. The The next piece that I wanted to ask about is, is really around uh, how we perceive problems because I, I think that, you know, what you're talking about really are problems and challenges and the, our perceptions of problems and challenges. So, how do you work with people who, you know, they start to look at the, these scenarios and they might say, okay, maybe I can let go of the how, but I still perceive these things to be, to be problems. What, what then?
1: Yeah, it's a couple of things. One is whether or not someone is willing to, and listen, we, we have multiple three and four day events designed specifically to get people to believe what we already know to be true. <laughs> okay. So, so to be willing to believe that there are no problems. And if we're willing to entertain the idea, at least incorporate it into our lens of the world, that there are no problems, that life is working for you in infinitely intelligent ways on a moment by moment basis to help you create the vision you have for your life. Then when we experience something that's a problem, we can at least move back into, into intelligent inquiry and say, if this weren't a problem, how could this be serving me, right? What can I be learning from this? What might I be able to achieve as a result of this experience? What skills might I be developing, right? And so those can be challenging questions when you're saying, well, how is it not a problem? My child was just diagnosed with a terminal disease. How How is that not a problem? Now, as you go deeper into what we teach we have a particular perspective on the spiritual traditions that we incorporate as a foundation within the truths that, that, that are part of our framework. So yes, it's problematic if you are attached to life. It's not problematic if you believe that, You've, you're having this life with the person you love and you'll have the next life with the person you love. And as energy and as spirit, we come into the physical body to have a physical experience and to learn some things. That doesn't mean that you can move into suffering around it. There's no judgment around that. Like if Carol, my 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 partner, if something happened to her, I'd be spending a lot of time in suffering. I'm just also acknowledging that I can't create powerfully from there. And that the meaning that I'm giving the loss of Carol, that I'll never see her again that life shouldn't have taken her as early as it did, that I should have done things differently in our relationship. If that thinking is causing me suffering, it's not true. I did exactly what I needed to do in the relationship. I will see her again. Life took her in exactly the right time. And so when, again, we, we consistently see, I worked with a woman from stage once who said, you know, um, you're, I've moved into suffering around the loss of my mom. You're telling me that I shouldn't grieve for my mom. I said, no, you should grieve for your mom, but let's get real present to what's causing you your pain. So she got present to it. I said, when you move into suffering around the loss of your mom, your mom is no longer here. That's an experience. But what is the thinking around mom no longer being here? And what this woman said was, I should have been there with her when she died. That's what's been causing me my greatest pain. And I said, then we know it's not true. You weren't supposed to be with her when when she died, when she passed. And we know it that you shouldn't have been with her when she passed because that's not what happened, right? So the pain that's causing this woman is her believing that she should have done something differently in the passing of her mom. That's the only cause of her pain. And we worked with her to help her see that that simply wasn't true, that the way her mom passed was, you know, perfect in terms of its design. And we helped her see that as long as she's continuing to spend these moments thinking that she should have been somewhere that she wasn't, she's not honoring her mom. I mean, the, the whole reason why she wanted to be there when her mom passed is because she believed that that was the best way to honor her mom. Meanwhile, she's not honoring her mom because if instead of thinking about all the fond moments she had with her mom and appreciating her mom, she's thinking about how she should have been somewhere that she wasn't. So again, that's how we sort of start to untangle this whole concept of like intelligent, unintelligent thinking
0: yeah i mean it's it 's really interesting because I think the brain can sort of ruminate on a lot of those painful moments and and ruminate on the should haves and could haves and all of those different components the what ifs so how do we how do we start to there's there's two things that I really wanted to touch on that that i 've seen you talk about that I think are are really powerful in this space, which is how do we start to find clarity in this space? through enrolling our sort of mental cognition. And then the last piece that I want to really touch on that I think was is extraordinarily powerful for a lot of people is how do we deal with fear? Because it seems like everything that we've talked about so far up into this point, up into this moment, is really, is, is really has... Yeah, has has fear really at the core of everything that we're talking about? So, so let's focus in on on enrolling the brain first and foremost, enrolling our mind, and and sort of like how we go about that space of of finding clarity, and then let's let's just sort of finish off with addressing the fear question.
1: Yeah, so you know, part of this, Connor, and you know, and I've spoken about this before, is that you know. My opinion of personal development is we've had a lot of great trainers who have paved the way for what I consider to be like mindset 2.0, real transformation. Now we have an opportunity and we've we've designed a step-by-step process to identify when you've moved out of your personal power, when you are entangled with a limiting belief, when you've moved into suffering and how to get back into your personal power, how to make empowering decisions and how to live in a beautiful state. Right, so there's, there, we've got two sides of this coin. There's now a step by step process, and it's steeped in actual brain change, which allows you to show up in your life as a phenomenon and create incredible things, and to live a joyful life where there are no problems and where life is always working for you. Like it's amazing, right? So, but to get clarity around that, like to actually be able to, if I'm if I'm hearing your question right, like actually live that way, it requires a couple of things. It it requires one the the understanding. Right. I mean, if I was going to drop you in a helicopter and say, "All right, well, you know, do you have clarity now on how to fly?" You'd say, "No, I don't know what to do." So part of it is the training and the understanding of how the human being operating system works, and the laws, the, the mathematical and mechanical laws that are at work around us that connect us as spirit having an individual experience with infinite intelligence everywhere. Right. Like this. This is this is the the conversation that connects human being with spiritual tradition with the quantum mechanical model with neurobiology. And so uh, this is, this is a new conversation for 99.9% of people. So number one is you got to understand the conversation. Um, then number two is it's not just understanding what we're talking about. It's actually living in practice of it. To me, that's what spirituality is. It's a living practice of noticing when you've moved into a suffering state and doing the work to move back into a beautiful state of being. That, that's my spiritual practice. It's the most important thing to me in my life is that practice every day, every moment. Sometimes I forget, and I feel so grateful and blessed that I have the tools. So we give the tools to other people, and then we've created a community where you can live in the practice of this. That's the way you make it. That's the way you change. And anyone who's created transformation in their life, because you've transformed, I've transformed, if we look back over our lives what we'll actually see is that that personal transformation that we've undergone was just a wonky version of what I'm talking about <laughs> and and it was wonky <laughs> because no one gave us a manual and now we have a manual for yeah. how to become everything that you know you're capable of becoming in the world and how to live a joyful life and how to go out and bring your vision into the world it's this process so that's number 1 right and and we're thrilled to do it because I mean, God, what, a, what, a, what an incredible blessing to be able to bring this work into the world and to no longer have to live into the, in the cliche. Because like I said, we're in this really interesting transition where teachers before have helped us become self-aware. The, the emerging teachers in the personal evolution space are helping people understand what to do with what they're becoming aware of. How do you really change the patterns of thinking? How do you really change your, your behavior? How do you really change what you're creating in your life? So that was question one around the clarity. Question two was, I'm trying to remember.
0: Question two was in and around fear because, I, you know, it's, it seems to be a huge component. And I think for, uh, I feel like a lot of people aren't really too sure what to do with, with fear. I think that we, in the sort of collective consciousness and collective unconsciousness, we all really realize that fear is is the catalyst in in. Almost any situation and holding us back from achieving the results that we want or having the love that we want, whatever that looks like for us. And so, how do we start to either reframe how we look at fear, or what's possible? What's possible in us having a different relationship with fear?
1: Yeah. So, such a great question. So, th- th- fear, right? Which which is instinctual. It it comes from the, the older parts of our of our neurobiology. Served a purpose a long time ago, right? Because there was any moment in time you'd walk out of your cave and you, you could be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. We're, we're responding that way now to an environment that is no longer what it was. And it is a reaction that denies the, the and, and again, I'll use these words purposefully, the mathematical and mechanical understanding of how life itself works. Because there's a divine mathematics and intelligence that is taking place within us and all around us. And once you have that higher level of understanding, the knowledge of of what we're talking about in terms of the nature of how life works, the nature of who we are as powerful creators, the nature of intelligence itself and how it's expressing itself through us and around us and through everyone, once you understand that, it's the first step in being able to live fearlessly because fear is the denial of those mechanics. Fear is what I like to call forgetting everything about reality, right? So that's what fear is. And and it requires a willingness to adopt some some beliefs around the fact, and I sound like a broken record at this point, that nothing wrong ever happens. Nothing wrong has ever happened. You've never done anything wrong. No one's ever done anything wrong to you. And on a moment-by-moment basis, life is working for you. So as a powerful creator, in any moment in time, you're able to completely transform the trajectory of your life by making new decisions. You have the world's greatest technology sitting between your ears. It's a goal-achieving machine. You're a powerful creator. If you don't understand all of that, then fear shows up. So, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life which, which you know, really uh, authentically, I live for the most part fearlessly. I notice when fear shows up and I realize that in that moment, I just bought into the lie again. And so when I live in the truth that like everything that's happening on a moment-by-moment basis is for everyone's greatest evolution and growth. So someone asked me, you know, I live in Orlando. They asked me about the Orlando shooting, which is really relevant to what happened with the Las Vegas shooting. And so someone uh, asked me on one of my live streams, well, how is that life working for us? And I said, well, you know, it's a quote-unquote tragedy. But from my perspective, when I looked at what happened, it brought people together in Orlando like I had never seen in my entire life. It allowed... Compassion for gays and an understanding that wasn't understood before of, of the silent oppression of gays and the, and the the expressive oppression of gays to be seen by a lot of people who are now in support of, you know, homosexuals. Right. So on so many levels, this thing created an expression and expansion that we all want right in our lives. It's like that old metaphor of the rainforest burning down. Well, it must be such a bad thing. Well, no, it gives rise and birth to everything else. It's a bad thing if you believe that those people are dead and then nothing ever happens again. But again, I think that's a limited perspective of what life is on this planet. Does that mean I want people to die? No. But does that mean that I'm going to go back on my belief that there's not an intelligence greater than us at work here? And even though I can't perceive of it, moment by moment by moment, the truth is, is that life is always working in its greatest good and capacity for all of us. I'm not going to go back on that belief. I would rather say I don't understand things as well as the infinite intelligence that's at work here. That's the belief that I've adopted, and that's why I am able to live life fearlessly.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting cuz like some of these have you ever heard of the show I'm going to I'm going to deviate here for a second but have you ever heard of the show Rick and Morty? Yeah, <laughs> I've heard of it but I don't know much about oh, it. Oh man. Okay, so there's uh, there's some really really great parts that are in there. It's a little bit it's really talking a lot about some of the core components of what you're talking about. Um it's it's kind of got like a darker undertone but there's this moment where Morty's talking to his sister and he basically says something along the lines of nobody belongs anywhere. You're not here to do anything. So why don't you just choose what you want to do? And it really was this sort of, you know, it's a little bit nihilist in a way, but it really is this moment of, yeah, you know, there, there really is a choice, a decision that we get to make about whether or not life is inherently uh, out for our greatest good, or if it's not, and we can choose to live that way. It's just a pretty shitty experience, a pretty shitty existence that I think a lot of us have already been very familiar with. And so, you know, what I hear is a possibility out of what you're talking about is really the opportunity to decide what we want to do and where we want to go and what we want our life to look like in so many different ways and and to choose our own experience out of that self-awareness.
1: Yeah. You know, We, it's, it's the conversation of the greatest thinkers in the history of the world, right? I mean, that's the quote by Einstein, where he says the most important decision, and he uses the word, chooses his words wisely. The most important decision you make is whether you live in a hostile or a friendly universe. Why? Because that's going to dictate how you think on a moment by moment basis because he understood that you've got this goal achieving machine, this extraordinary creative technology sitting between your ears and it operates off of what you've decided. It's going to affect the way that you view the world and it's going to affect what you powerfully create in what we're calling the quantum reality. And that's what's so amazing. Like there's this blank canvas in front of all of us. Uh, sometimes I wake up, I I don't even really have it as a regular practice, but it's, it was actually right before I met you, uh, and right before uh, I met a few other really extraordinary people at the same time that I met you. I realized that I get to make decisions whenever I want. The moment I make a decision without worrying about the how, I'll create an image of it. And then I've got the most extraordinary technology in the world helping at conscious and unconscious levels to bring it into reality. Cause that's what the brain does. Like literally I, I I made the decision that I was going to date a beautiful Colombian woman a week before I met Carol, who's my partner. And there were so many unconscious things that had to happen in order to put me in the same place as where I met her. And so I made this decision right before I met you that I'm going to meet even more. I'm going to develop even more incredible relationships with even more extraordinary people doing even more amazing things in the world. There's a blank canvas in front of us. So, you know, even for you, Connor, it's like, what decisions aren't you making that you could be making that would allow your life to be even richer, even fuller, even more impactful? Because guess what? There's nothing limiting you from making them. And there's no like genie that says you
0: only get three wishes. (laughs) I love it, I love that well, listen david like we um I feel like we could jam on this literally for hours because this is this is the kind of stuff that I love it 's the it's really the combination of of spirituality and and neuroscience and um and transformation, which is which is really my jam. So you're you're talking about three pillars uh, of life that I that I deeply respect and am very curious by. I think you've added a ton of value for our listeners. Um, but we are running out of time, and so I would just love a couple of things. First and foremost. Is there anything else sort of at the tail end of this with everything that we've talked about from the limiting beliefs to addressing fear to, you know, really understanding our, our mental, mental cognitive models to being able to identify when we're in a healthy space versus a non-healthy space? Is there anything else that you would like to add in as as just sort of what you want to leave people with?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's one more thing, uh, Connor, and we could just keep going layers and layers and layers deeper. But yeah, I think fundamentally what we're talking about, which is interesting to people is how to become more intelligent. And when you realize that intelligence doesn't really come from you, intelligence flows through you. If you want to become more intelligent, which I think is the greatest currency that we could be after, because it allows us to create, right? In our lives. Uh, and I don't mean more knowledgeable, but if you want to allow intelligence to flow through you more, which gives you more ideas, more creativity, more inspiration, more vitality, more health, more presence, everything that we, everything that we want. The key is to actually eliminate all of the space that's being consumed by unintelligent thinking in your mind. So as you do this work, what the most profound thing that I've experienced is that as I spent less time in suffering, there was more space for something else to start working through me. And I've developed a very personal relationship with that something else, and it's the source of all of my power. And so th- that, I think, at the deepest level is what we're talking about here, is about how to allow intelligence to flow through you so that you have greater capacity to be the expression of it. And we've kind of scratched the surface of this. And thanks to your <laughs> amazing questions, I think we've gone pretty deep in one hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, man, I, I agree. Um, so, you know, there's some great resources that you have out there. You've got the powerful living experience, which is a, uh, you know, really great resource, really great conference that I, I encourage people to check out. They can go to DavidBear.com. Um, and, a, you know, a, a huge component of why I want to have you on is in and around the, the mind hack method, which is some of the stuff that I think that we've, we've really Connected on here. Um, so, you know, where can people find you? What, what should they go and check out if they want a little bit more info or, or some really great lessons that you teach?
1: Yeah. So what we've got a, uh, I've got a really quick read ebook that everyone should just rip through probably in 30 or 40 minutes and, uh, and, and a great series of, um, videos that take this conversation a little bit deeper. Anybody who's interested can go to, uh, mindhackprogram.com slash man talks. And we've set up a dedicated URL for anybody who wants to download the ebook, um, get the free training videos. And if you want to go deeper into the work, there'll be plenty of opportunities
0: to do that. Awesome, my friend. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Man Talks podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and for everybody else out there, don't forget to go on over to uh, iTunes, head on over to iTunes, uh, leave us a review, goes a long way, and subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Uh, and for everybody else, head on over to mantox.com, check out the latest blog posts. We've got some great authors writing for us nowadays. Uh, Check out the latest podcasts and some of the live videos that we have going out from our latest events around North America. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.